listening to The Apple Slice, an educational podcast about education. Hi, welcome to The Apple Slice. I'm Sandy. And I'm Melissa. And today we're going to be talking about the importance of civics Mm -hmm. and the role of democracy. So this one is probably geared towards, you know... American listeners, too. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) Yes, in secondary education, although it's not just in secondary education, but um, I think a lot of times um, it takes more of that lean when you think of, like, government class in high school and and Mm -hmm. civics class and all that stuff. And I think we're talking about more than just teaching kids about the importance of, like, national symbols and voting and stuff like that. So it is a little bit more of, like, capitalizing on the opportunity to teach kids who are almost adults the importance of civics. Do you remember having a civics course in high school? I took a government class and it was a joke. I loved mine. Well, I wish I loved mine. <laughs> <laughs> I like when I when I was reading this stuff, it brought back like very vivid memories like we would, um, our teacher, I forget her name, but she would always shows a, show us clips of The Simpsons mm-hmm. and, and like tie that into civics themes and we had debates. And I remember when I took that class, it was near, I was a senior in high school and it was near one of the presidential elections. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like going home and spouting off like how many seats were in the House and how many seats were in the Senate and like all of that stuff. My mom was like, Huh? <laughs> That's but awesome. I loved it. And, and in class, like one of our assignments was to register to vote. Really? Yeah. Like she did it really well. I should probably remember her name. Nice. I don't. I had an excellent history professor, but he was not the one that taught my government class. So a history professor or a teacher? A teacher. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So let's talk about it. Um, I have a kind of an idea that I snagged from one of these articles that I read, but it says one of the primary reasons our nation's founders envisioned a vast public education system was to prepare youth to be active participants in our system of self-government. And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but isn't, isn't that the truth is that we want you to be able to read and write and voice your opinion and have an opinion. Um, and part of that is through education. Mm-hmm. And now I don't, I think that ideal has been lost. Well, uh, one of the main articles we read started by saying that there's almost like a restoration of this idea mm-hmm. that, hey, maybe we can save American democracy by focusing on what's happening in the schools. Right. I had issues finding exactly like hardcore facts. Right. Because it's so state by state by state. And I, I didn't want to just report on, we're in the state of Ohio. I just didn't want to report just on that. And so I was having a little bit of difficulty figuring out like what actually, who is teaching what, who's testing what. Um, I found some history. Um, until the late 60s, it was common for American high school students to have three separate courses in civics and government. Um, but those were slashed as curriculum narrowed um, over mm-hmm. the decades. Um, and then also, just like anything else, if it's not tested on, a lot of times it's not taught. Yeah, excellent point. Um, I had a fact that only 25% of U.S. students reach the proficient standard on the NAEP civics assessment. Mm. How many? 
25% reach proficient, but I don't think that they have to. Mm -hmm. It's not one of those that like you have to score a certain um, score to graduate or pass. Um, I had that all 50 states require some form of instruction in civic or government. Um, And nearly 90% of students take at least one of those classes, but only 21 states, and this was in 2012, and you said it's kind of like having like a Mm -hmm. a reformation. In 2012, only 21 states require a state-designed social studies test. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I ever took anything unique to... I didn't. Ohio history. I think that's why I enjoyed it so much, because it wasn't tested upon. Uh-huh. And she could show us Bart Simpson and, 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 and attach it to a civics theme. Right. But, hmm. yeah. Well, I do think, like, there's, there is this importance of it because, because of social media and the current climate that we're in, that students that are becoming adults, they have to learn how to distinguish between propaganda, mm-hmm. fake news, biased news, unbiased news. Where are you going to get your news? How are you going to be an informed adult? And so because of that, in this one article, it says supporters are hoping to expand civics education to 10 million students by 2021. Uh-huh. But of course, they're going to basically have to do some kind of like private funding or raise right. money to make that happen. Right. One of the big articles that I like really jived with me that I really um, um, stuck on and it wasn't, you know, like a, like a NPR article. It was like a straight up research article. Okay. Um, talked about media literacy and the teaching of civics. And so it really went into, um, like, um, it really went into how do we teach them how to be um, um, wise when they are watching commercials or when they see a report on Facebook or they see something on Twitter. We need to teach them how to think again. I agree. And not just, like, government's really important, but, mm-hmm. again, how to decipher between um, this is this is real information or this information is um, being sponsored by a certain company. And so what does that mean about the information? Just really teaching them um, how to think. And I like d- I dove into that one. I, I really went with that one. Mm-hmm. It was pretty interesting. Well, I think I've always thought, even as an early childhood professor, that like, you know, one of the reasons why I want to teach them how to read is because I want them to be contributing members of society right. one day. And I think it's the same thing here. Like, we want them to be influential, contributing members to society. And I think that we just assume that they know how that works. Mm-mm. But, you know, if they're not being explicitly taught about civics, I think there's a potential that they grow up thinking that there are certain limitations on them as citizens right. or that the government actually has more power than what it does. Mm-hmm. And they miss the mark on knowing that they can be the change. Right. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's really the true. The lack of knowledge could really be dangerous. Right. And I think it's something, and I know this would anger some people, it's almost like health or sex ed or some other things where we assume that it's happening at home. Mm. And you can't assume anything is happening happening at home. Um, you cannot make the assumption correct. No, not whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I had this quote here from Ernest Boyer, and um, at the time he said this, he was the president of Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching, and he wrote, it is no longer enough simply to read and write. Students must also become literate in the understanding of visual images. Our children must learn how to spot a stereotype, isolate 
isolate a social cliche and distinguish facts from propaganda, analysis from banter, and important news from coverage. Love it. Me too. That's great. I hate reading quotes, but like... I was like, spot on. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that. Mm-hmm. But and and that is almost what, in my opinion, civics should become. Um, yes, we need to teach them, you know, simple government because that is kind of you know the backbone of it. Mm-hmm. We also need to teach them how to think. Mm-hmm. Well, we've even seen that in our college classes because mm-hmm. we have a course that we've. Um, really tried to work hard as a senior level course, getting them to understand that as teachers, as public educators, if they want to make change to the system, they have a voice in that. Right. And we try to help them practice and learn how to do that and how to contact their political officials. You know, I never had anything like that. I was in about my to say, training. I was never taught that. And I have even learned stuff from that class mm-hmm. as an outsider looking in, like, huh. They right. do have power, you know, <laughs> rather than just being, you know, we always talk about teachers being their own little islands. Exactly. Oh. And I think it's important that we're teaching our students that you don't just complain. Mm-hmm. You actually do, do something, something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had um, a couple of ways to implement civics into the classrooms. Okay. Um and two were really good, but they were really for um, secondary education. That's okay. Let's hear it. You want me to go into them? Yeah. Um, okay. So the two that I like the bo- the most, um, the first one is called A Giant Newspaper. And it is a school um, in South Africa. And they have been basically taking students in their civics and language arts classes, and they basically turn them into reporters and they publish issues um, about their own school and contemporary issues affecting the school. And their final writing products that they work on over the course of the semester, they hang them up in a huge newspaper style. Okay. And these these newspapers are 14 feet by 20 feet tall big and they hang them up on the walls mm-hmm. and the article um, goes into saying how um, just like everything we know about writing if it's published I mean it's the school newspaper mm-hmm. but if it's published um, students will spend more time making sure that it's accurate yeah if you know someone else is going to read it yes if it's yeah. an opinion piece they're going to be more careful with their words they're not hiding behind a twitter account or facebook account there is a picture there is a name and then there are your thoughts yes and by them blowing it up into 14 by 20 feet huge things putting them on the side like I imagine them kind of being in like their cafeteria or their commons Mm -hmm. that people were reading them a lot more. You know, it's not like something that it was an email that got sent out or they made bunches of copies that you, you know, put your gum in 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 second period. (laughs) But people were actually reading them and that it really got some of those kiddos more invested in civics um, in their own school. So that's kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. um, um, because, I mean, you can see civics 
in a second grade classroom. You can yeah, well, see I mean, it. You can have little a, reporters and things right, like that. Right. But yeah, I, I like the format of that. This next one, um, it was done here in the States, and it was my favorite. Um, it was done in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and it's still being done. And I like it because it's a middle school, so it seems a little bit closer to me. Okay. Benjamin Franklin Middle School in Ridgewood, New Jersey. They have BFBN, Benjamin Franklin Broadcast News. <laughs> and for more than a decade... When students in that uh, middle school get in eighth grade, they know that they have to help produce this program, this BFBN, Benjamin Franklin Broadcast News. They have to help produce the program for one semester and that they have to appear on camera at least once. Talk about hitting so many different skills just from um, public speaking, writing, research, all of that. Um, The programs are produced almost entirely by the students. Of course, there is some adult supervision. Um, But the whole program and idea and project is interwoven with a social and emotional learning program that was introduced by a psychologist named Maurice Elias. Have you heard of him? Mm-mm. Okay, I don't feel so bad anymore. Um, but it's just really cool, in my opinion, that they are producing this this daily news program daily. Wow! And they can, you know, they're bringing up topics that are happening in their community, in their school. And this is the kicker right here. It said in Ridgewood, New Jersey, in that little town, um, the community can watch it because each morning the daily program is available through the town's public access cable channel. Okay. Talk about like what I'm doing matters. And it even (laughs) talked about that like moms will, uh, moms and dads will make that part of like their morning uh, routine. Mm -hmm. And you'll see like people in like the supermarket chatting about like, oh, well, did you see like, Eric and he was reporting on oh, this that's funny. like they're learning more about their community and it's being led by a bunch of eighth graders. Wow. Like that's cool. Talk about learning the importance of civics, mm-hmm. talking about really understanding what's going on around you. If someone was telling me that I was going to be on, you know, the public access cable channel, Mm -hmm. I'd get my junk together. But you know, we've also presented multiple times on how to create a podcast. I mean, even if you couldn't get to your local access, right? you could make a daily podcast or something like that. And that's that. super, I mean, because this uh, Benjamin Franklin Middle School, they were talking about that they have, you know, the whole kit and caboodle when it comes to like cameras and, and, and all that production stuff. Yeah. For a, a, this is easy, guys. A podcast is really easy to do. Right. And the equipment is very inexpensive. Yes, you're giving away our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that would be a good idea is, you know, you know if you just didn't daily, have access yeah, to all of this. A daily things. podcast. Mm-hmm. And even like, I'm sure I remember being in elementary school and doing, we had like the morning announcements mm-hmm. was like a video thing. And I was a part of that. Even if like a little podcast, if, you know, even if it was, you know, five minutes long, I couldn't imagine it being any longer than that. Mm -hmm. If, you know, a child had a particular piece they were presenting that day, if that was on, you know, Mm -hmm. the morning announcements or something like, I don't know. I like what they're doing there for sure. I do too. That's that's pretty cool. Those are my two favorite. All right. Yeah. It it was, it was pretty inspiring. I think it's important to look for things that go beyond just having like a class election. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Because that's the go-to in every school, right? It is the go-to. And they are learning certain things. But I remember being a fifth grade teacher, and it was it was really never, like, the class, the president was always going to be a fifth grader. And it had nothing to do with their, oh, what is that called? Like Their, their platform. Pl- their platform, because you're in fifth grade. Like, what are you going to do? And like, it's also such a popularity thing. That's all it was. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. everything that they really wanted to do, we wouldn't let them do. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, exactly. you have no say. And so it yeah. was kind of a joke. So that's why I like ideas that go beyond that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I know in your elementary school, you always talked about getting the newspaper in mm-hmm. and making sure that they were reading that. But I think a lot of times teachers avoid it for the same reason that they avoid teaching history or government, because they're not well-versed in it. Mm-hmm. And it could cause... Um, it's a touchy... It's super touchy. You know, because there's everybody... You can't make everybody happy in the way you present it. And even though we think history is unbiased, it always is biased yes. on the perspective of the person telling it. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of things. But I even think it's important to teach our high schoolers that, right? Yes. You think when you tell the history of, I don't know, some war, that you are then like telling exactly how it was. Yeah. But telling no. them like, no, this is a biased opinion. Yeah. I remember, I mean... Uh, this is coming from someone I taught the Civil War to 10-year-olds in Richmond, which at one point in time was the capital of the Confederacy. And it was tough. Right. Like, I remember thinking, like, this is so awkward at some points. But by telling them, I am not the master of all knowledge. Right. And, like, I remember my children knew I, I would give them this this thing to read. And it had um, the history and then her story. You know what I mean? Like breaking mm-hmm. up that word. Like, oh, I see what you're saying. Just yeah. think about it. Like, exactly. is this really all that happened? We are only talking about this group of the population. Mm-hmm. Now, I really just need for you to think. And, and I don't know. Like, And so just not avoiding it because it's uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. If we avoided everything that's uncomfortable in life, like we're not doing them justice. Right. Yeah. So, um, there was a couple of web resources that I found. Okay. Um, Project Vote Smart um, was a web resource, and of course it has to do with voting, which there's no easier time to talk about civics than during those election times. Um, SchoolCity.com was a good um, resource. Then, of course, there is um, certain, like, newspapers in education and cable in the classroom, CNN newsroom, mm-hmm. um, C-SPANs in the classroom, um, let's see, um, nationalstudent.tv is a good resource. Okay. Um, and then I came across this resource that was called Kids Voting USA, and it was um, a K-12 curriculum, and the program integrates civics education and preparation for voting through the use of, like, reading newspapers and media analysis, which I'm like, hmm. Um, it reaches 4.3 million students, 200,000 teachers, over 10,000 schools, and 20,000 voter precincts. 
So it's a huge program. Um, but the students are taught history of voting, voting laws. Um, they somehow can bring a mock ballot to the polling places, which I've never seen that, but I have a first grader, so maybe I'm not there yet. Okay. Um, but um, this little study found that when the students were going through Kids Voting USA in school, that it appeared that the parents were voting more, and the parents, because it was a discussion that their kids were bringing up, there was a 5 to 10% growth in parents voting. Oh, and participation. Isn't that weird? That so is... So the students are leading. Yes. Which they can. Like, we recycle now because Captain Planet lives with me. I am so sorry, everybody. Like, I wasn't recycling before, but now if I, like, get near the trash can with something that could be recycled... She loses her junk. Uh, that is exactly why my family also recently. <laughs> I'm not we kidding. We are horrible people. <laughs> and Jay's like, seriously? I'm like, well, I mean, she has a point. I know, but it, it's like that has been instilled. Someone has taught that to them. I agree completely. I will admit the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, I have nothing. I cannot remember where I saw the source. or So I have nothing to base this on. I'm just sharing it because you brought that up. But... I can remember one time, I think it was like, you know how Scholastic News has those little like weekly newsletters Mm -hmm. and stuff? And a lot of times they have like, kids vote in America for the president. Yes. And there was something like the percentage of time that Scholastic News predicted... It's 100%. Is it? I haven't looked at that lately. And it's just fascinating to think about because it's like, oh, yeah, because kids are probably voting in school reflective of what they're hearing their parents talk about at home. I distinctly remember being in the fourth grade and having doing that with Newsweek, Kids Newsweek, whatever it was, and us voting. And I remember being in the fourth grade classroom, in Miss Boone's classroom, and I was the only child that voted (laughs) third party Ross Perot. Like, why is everybody else voting something different? And then I can bring it back to my parents who could never conform with society. But, like, isn't that just (laughs) odd? I'm just like, but I can still, like, I talk about that in my social studies methods course. That, but they still, it's 100% because they're just mimicking what their parents are doing. What they're being exposed to. And so all the more reason why we should be hitting it in education because that's the place where we can say, consider other perspectives, Mm -hmm. other people's opinions, other views. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's important. Civics is important. Yeah. I'll just wrap up by saying um, the one article that we got this idea from had like six tips or something like that. Okay, so let me find those. And first of all, it said six suggestions. First of all, Schools need to offer these courses on civics and government because supposedly if you do that and students are better informed, they'll be more likely to vote once they become adults. Yes. Um, Because I thought about that. Like, I remember the first election I voted in, you know, I think I had to vote absentee and something, something because I was away at college. But but I wanted to do that. Right. You know, so that's Mm -hmm. important. Host discussions of current controversial topics, right? Kids love that junk. They love that junk. (laughs) Like, should we have soda in school? Oh, man, they're going to go all over that. So imagine how much deeper it would be if you actually talked about, like, real things that were happening. We were talking about, like, real issues happening, like, in that political election. But why shouldn't they be able to talk about it? They're going to be voting in a year or two years. Yep. Number three, I really like have service learning opportunities for the community. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's kind of like you said, um, they can't really have a platform, but maybe collectively your grade can have a common community service project. Because that just instills the idea of community engagement. Yes. 
Number four, student-led. Everything should be student-led. Don't tell them what to think. Don't tell them what to do. Don't let them come up with their own ideas. And, and like, in my mind, this is definitely one of the courses, like, if you're teaching this, you are a facilitator, you are the trained director, but you are not the master of all knowledge. Don't even try to do that, because then that is how you're going to get in hot water with families. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling them what to think. I'm telling them, I'm teaching them how to think. And I think, you know, of course, they're going to want to know, what do you think? I never tell. Right. It's just a good idea to stay unbiased as possible Mm -hmm. and always turn it back on them. Well, what do you guys think? And here are the facts. And what do you want to know? Mm -hmm. Okay. um, The next one is make sure you're giving them time to speak. As teachers, we're so quick to jump in and Mm -hmm. cut kids off. Give them time to think, speak, let them have a voice. And then the last one, just look for programs that are simulate mm-hmm. and kind of like what you were talking about. There are so many things available. Just spend a little time searching and then utilize those resources in your classroom. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, let's say it's not tested upon and the the county or the district that you're working for, they don't offer a civics class because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. You can tie it into language arts. You can tie it into um, the newspaper course that one school did. You can tie it into social studies. You can tie it into literature and reading or a language arts it's course. It's so easy to do all that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so... So we're not just talking to government, civic, social studies teachers. We're talking to, if you deal with children, bring it up. Talk about it. Yes, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Civics. I think we did it without offending anyone or giving our opinion. (laughs) Do you think we- I mean, yeah, I we just stuck to the facts. <laughs> Plus, I think everybody knows you're biased towards history things anyway. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> history is dreamy, <laughs> but it's it's just super important. It really is, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be overlooked. It's one of those things that I think, like, okay, yeah, it's not in the curriculum, but we all teach things that we think are important anyway. Yes. So even if you're not being told to do it. Do it. Do it. Right. Please. Yes. If you have an idea or an example of how you integrate civics into your everyday classroom, we would love to know about it and we would love to share it. Yeah, please share. Mm -hmm. Um, If you also have any additional ideas for podcasts that we can chat about, uh, let us know. And as always, whenever you can, go vote. (laughs) Yeah. For more information, including show notes, visit us at theappleslice.info.